Sun Yat-sen Nanyang Memorial Villa is a museum dedicated to the history of the overseas Chinese revolutionary efforts. The history of Sun Yat-sen Memorial Villa is intricately linked with the 1911 Xinhai Revolution, which was a revolution led by Sun Yat-sen against the Qing government in China. Today, we'll explore the history of China, understand the intricate connections between China and the overseas communities like that in Singapore, and admire the amazing architecture of the bungalow. Today, we'll only explore the first two galleries of this villa in detail, and focus on the history of the 1911 revolution. This villa still contains many other displays regarding the ethnic Chinese community in Singapore though we will only be glossing over them for this tour. Hi, I'm Ilun. Thanks for downloading this episode of Ilun Audio Tours. This podcast offers reviews, tours, news and commentaries about Singapore. Traveling through Singapore just got easier. Before we move on, let me just make a minute to appeal to you. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. It would be great if you would rate this podcast and leave your review while you are there. Help spread the word. Thanks. Please, and if you like the show, send me feedback at universalssfan at gmail.com that is u-n-i-v-r-s-a-l-s-s-f-a-n at gmail.com or leave a comment on the blog at ilunetours.wordpress.com And now, on to the show. This audio guide is designed to accompany you while you visit the location. Use this guide with discretion. Always be prepared for the renovations and the shifting of artifacts. Most importantly, be flexible. Ask a local for directions. Singaporeans speak English as our first language. Now, Sun Yat-sen Villa is located at 12 Taijin Road. Topayo Station is the closest MRT station and it is about a 15 minutes walk away. Check out the map on our website for detailed directions. The tour begins at the front lawn of Sun Yat-sen Villa. So get yourself over there and I'll meet you there. The tour begins. Stand in front of the green lawn right in front of the villa as I describe to you the architecture of the building. The villa is a classic Chinese colonial bungalow and an amalgamation of various Western and Asian architectural styles. The gates surrounding the perimeter of the building are in the Victorian style. The roof of the building, however, is in the straight Chinese eclectic style as illustrated by the orange V-profile clay tiles and the prominent roof ridges. We have seen similar roofs in an old Chinese shop house in places such as Chinatown. However, there are also elements of neoclassical architecture, specifically the arched front entrance and Corinthian pillars on the balcony. Well, there are actually three basic orders in the classical uh, architecture, much like different keys in Western music. They are the Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian, respectively. The proportions of the columns and the decorations located on the columns distinguishes these orders. The Corinthian pillar, which you see uh, on this villa, are defined by their fluted columns, that is, the grooves along the pillars of the columns and the elaborate decorations at the top and the base of the pillars. Enter the villa once you have finished appreciating the architecture of the building. 
I'll join you once you're in the foyer. Pause it now and resume when you're in the foyer. If you're a foreigner, the entrance price would be $4 for adults and $2 for children, subject to change. However, if you're a local resident, just show your uh, pass, perhaps your uh, IC, and you'll be granted free admission. You know, standing at the foyer of the villa, orientate yourself. To your front is the ticketing counter, and to your left is a small room with various pictures of the villa throughout the various stages of its existence. And to your right is a giant photograph and the entrance to the museum galleries. Walk to the small room to your left and I'll tell you more about the history of this building. This villa was bought in 1905 by Teo Ing Hock, the great-grandfather of Singapore's current Deputy Prime Minister, Teo Chi Hien. Teo Ing Hock bought the villa for her elderly mother for her retirement and renamed the building Wan Ching Yuan, which translates to Serene Sunset Garden. This is between the period of 1905 in 1911, and it is the period that the villa played its pivotal role in the Chinese Revolution. This time period is also what we'll focus on for this tour. After the 1911 revolution, Tuing Hock sold the villa to an Indian merchant in 1912 as his business had declined, and since the location had lost much of the value for the Chinese revolutionaries. This villa changed ownership another 11 times between 1914 and 1925. In 1937, a group of six famous merchant philanthropists purchased the villa and donated it to the Singapore Chinese Chamber of Commerce and Industry to be preserved as a historical site. However, in 1942, this villa fell into the Japanese invaders and again fell into a state of disrepair and its artifacts were destroyed. It was used as the Japanese communications hub. After the war, the nationalist government renovated the building and used it as the Singapore headquarters for its branch over here. In 1951, the local government prohibited Kuomintang activities in Singapore and the Singapore Chinese Chamber of Commerce and Industry took on the management of the villa. By 1965, the building has been restored and turned into a library and museum where the life of Sun Yat-san was traced in photos and watercolours deemed worthy of preservation for its historical and architectural significance, the building was gazetted as a national monument in 1994. The National Heritage Board took over ownership of the villa in 2009. The building was closed once again in October 2012 and opened on 8 October 2011 following a 5.6 million revamped funded jointly by the Singapore government and the villa's owner, uh, the Singapore Chinese Chamber of Commerce and Industry. The makeover included a redesign of the interior and a complete overhaul of the exhibition content, which was curated with the help of a team from National Museum. Now exit this room and enter Exhibition Hall 1, which is across the foyer of the villa. Now you're in Exhibition Hall 1. Around you are artifacts from Kyo In Hock's life. This includes photos, letters and books and other personal items that Kyo In Hock and his family once used. Kyo In Hock was a wealthy rubber merchant and he bought this house for his aging mother. Kyo was also a revolutionary and was in contact with many of the revolutionaries back in China. 
Soon after the purchase of the villa, Tiu met with Sun Yat-sen, the legendary father of modern Republic of China, which predated the current Communist uh, People's Republic of China. Tiu soon became close acquaintance with Sun Yat-sen due to their shared passions and common goals. Tiu soon offered Sun Yat-sen the right to use the villa, and it was then when the villa became a key point in the 1911 revolution that overthrew the feudal uh, monarchical government of China. Wander around this space while I tell you more about the state China was in pre-1911. After centuries of oppressive feudal rule, China was at the verge of self-disintegration. The Qing government was highly corrupt and the Chinese peasants were hungry and poor. The emperor was a two-year-old small boy, Pu Yi, who had no real control of the nation. China also suffered a series of humiliating loss to the Western powers, which included the looting of the Summer Palace in Beijing by the Eight Nations Alliance forces, including countries like Britain and France, and also the various other land concession deals made with the Western powers. Walk towards a block print on the right wall that is labelled as a block print of the Boxer Revolution. Here, we see a block print of a document regarding the Boxer Revolution. By the end of the 20th century, China was home to major Western powers, with each of these countries owning a significant share in the economy of China. These Western powers exploited the Chinese people as a cheap labour force, much to the hate of the locals. This led to the outbreak of the Boxer Revolution, an anti-imperialist revolt by the Chinese citizens against the exploitations of the Western powers. The revolutionaries looted many Western enterprises and murdered any foreigners they saw on the streets. An eight-nation alliance, which comprised Austria-Hungary, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Russia, United Kingdom and the United States, saw this as the perfect excuse to invade China. So they sent in their big guns and their men. After a humiliating defeat, China was forced to sign numerous unequal treaties with these countries and ceded much territory to them. For example, China ceded Hong Kong to Britain for a lease that only expired in 1997. Chinese from both the mainland and overseas were enraged by these political developments and abhorred the weakness and the corruption of the Qing government, which had allowed such developments to take place. They viewed this as a form of humiliation. Thus, they supported the revolutionary movement against the Qing government. We will now walk deeper into the gallery and proceed up the flight of stairs. We will follow the sign on the opposite wall which says, Gallery continues here. So we are now in the second gallery. In this room, find the wall that details the various trips Sun Yat-sen made to Singapore. You there? Alright, Sun Yat-sen transversed the globe to drum up support for the revolution and Singapore was one of the key destinations. As you can see, Sun Yat-sen lodged at this villa multiple times while he was in Singapore and conducted many key meetings in which the future of China was decided. But the villa served much more essential role than just a mere traveller's inn for Sun Yat-sen. 
The villa was the revolutionary headquarters of the Southeast Asian chapter of the Tongmenhui, or the Revolutionary Alliance. I'll touch on that later. Right now, walk on and proceed to the next gallery. In this room, you'll see a wall displaying various key local Singaporean personalities that played a large part on the revolution. On the opposite wall, you'll see a projection of the slideshow of the various key landmarks in colonial Singapore. We must remember that in the early 1900s, Singapore was very much considered a place to work and trade at, rather than an actual place to settle down and live permanently. Having little history prior to British colonialism, Singapore was not really a place where one could identify with nationalistically. One's identity was still predominantly determined by his ethnicity. The Swiss Chinese thus identified nationalistically with their ethnic homeland, China. They were therefore outraged by the corruption and the failures of the ruling Qing government and thus fervently supported the Chinese revolutionaries. In other words, the 1911 revolution became a prominent rallying point for the Straits Chinese, in part due to Sun Yat-sen's efforts to spread the revolutionary fervour in Southeast Asia to gain more support for the revolution. Wan Qingyuan, the headquarters of the Chinese revolutionaries in Southeast Asia, is thus a historically significant landmark to Singapore as it is a powerful symbol of ethnic roots and former nationalistic spirits of its Chinese community. These Chinese revolutionaries were actually Western educated and their ideals were very much influenced by Western values but they nevertheless retained a Chinese outlook on the world. The 1911 revolution was a revolution that sought to introduce Western ideology such as democracy into China and to use Western technology and systems to greatly improve the backward country. Many of the Singapore Chinese shared these similar viewpoints having come from a Chinese background or being governed by a Western power. So it was no wonder that the revolution gained much support over here in Singapore. Along the wall are many key figures in Singapore that contributed to the revolution. Many of them belonged to this class of Western-educated, wealthy businessmen who wanted to save China, their homeland. Afterwards, walk out of the room and enter the next room, which has a pair of glass doors leading to the veranda. In this room, you see on the wall opposite the pair of glass doors, you see a timeline that shows events happening simultaneously in Singapore, China and Japan before the revolution. Some key events to take note are the First and Second Opium Wars, which culminated in the British invasion of Hong Kong, and China losing the First Sino-Japanese War, which led to the Japanese invasion or occupation of Korea. So I'll tell you a little more about the Opium Wars. China has been an exporter of silk and tea to the Western nations like Britain for a long time. These commodities commanded great prices, and the West was willing to pay high prices for them. The Western nations, on the other hand, had little to trade in return with China. To make up for this, Britain started to manufacture opium from poppy flowers planted in colonial India and sold it to China. Opium was a highly addictive drug. This created a huge demand for opium, and the British was able to trade tea and silk with opium. 
However, opium also resulted in great social ills, much like drugs, you know, in contemporary times. Therefore, local officials from China demanded a ban on opium, and this incurred the wrath of the British. Within a short while, the British sent in troops and defeated the Chinese government, forcing them to lift the ban on opium. On top of that, the British also demanded the sovereign rights of Hong Kong as part of a concession that China will have to make in order uh, due to its defeat. So both of these events brought about significant impacts as they stirred up the anti-Qing government sentiment and resulted in a revolutionary effort. Walk on and enter a recreation of a room that once existed in this villa. On the table are a few copies of the revolutionary newspaper. This villa was the bloodline of the revolution in Southeast Asia. Local Chinese rallied around the revolutionary alliance, or the Tongmenghui. In turn, Tongmenghui created much propaganda that exposed the situation in China to the Chinese population over here and fueled the desire for a revolution. Knowledge is power, and hence, through the newspapers, like the one you see on the table, the Revolutionary Alliance sought to disseminate information and knowledge of the revolution to gain support. Slowly but surely, the Alliance flourished into a network of connections and vast membership circles with passionate members. Walk towards the wall and you'll see a list of locations Sun Yat-sen visited to set up local branches of the Revolutionary Alliance in. Singapore, Jakarta, Malacca were just some of the many places where this revolutionary network had reached. The diaspora of Chinese worldwide had literally created a network of overseas Chinese that rallied and funded the revolutionary efforts Sun Yat-sen was championing. Singapore was the heart of the Southeast Asian network of revolutionaries. Enter into the inner room with a single light bulb. This room commemorates the various martyrs that sacrificed their lives in the process of the revolution. Like a moth that burns itself when it approaches an oil lamp, these revolutionaries sacrificed their own lives to ensure the success of a revolution in their homeland. These overseas Chinese could very well not have cared about their homeland and be contented with their new homes like Singapore. However, their affinity for their motherland runs deep and they were willing to lose everything to ensure the freedom of their homeland. Now, move away from this room and enter Gallery 3, which is marked by a ramp leading to a wall of newspaper cutouts. Stop at the ramp and I'll tell you about the 1911 revolution success. On the wall of the passageway are panels that depicted the key events of the 1911 revolution. I'll take some time to run through them. The revolution arose mainly in a response to the decline of the Qing state, which had proven ineffective in its efforts to modernize China and confront new challenges presented by foreign powers. And this was excavated by the ethnic resentments against the ruling Manchu minority. Many underground anti-Qing groups, with the support of the Chinese revolutionaries in exile, 
tried to overthrow the Qing government. With all this pent-up frustration, it was only a matter of time before the Qing monarchy was removed. On an early morning in October 10, 1911, in a small town of Wuchang, Hubei, China, a group of revolutionaries were planning an uprising. However, out of a sudden, a bomb blast shattered the quiet of the neighborhood. One of the bombs the revolutionaries had prepared had just went off. This explosion gave away the identity and the location of the revolutionaries to local government officials. Facing the threat of being arrested and certainly being executed, the revolutionaries had no choice but to stage a coup right at that moment. The coup was successful and this served as a trigger point for a series of revolutions all over China that ultimately led to the fall of the Qing government. Witness the jubilation of the world as the wall of newspaper cutouts in front of you highlights the joy and congratulation the world offered to China uh, on the successful revolution. Move on and stand in front of a timeline that traces the events after the 1911 revolution to the time that Sun Yat-sen passed away. China, even after the 1911 revolution, was still split among the various warlords, with each warlord controlling a significant portion of China. Among them was a highly influential warlord, Yuan Shikai, who happened to control Beijing, the nation's ex-capital. Sun Yat-sen saw Yuan Shikai as a powerful man capable of uniting the different warlords of China, and hence gave up his position of presidency for Yuan. Instead of establishing a democratic government, however, Yuan Shikai declared himself emperor, but he only managed to hold on to the throne for 90 days before being removed. Sun Yat-sen saw this chaos and was determined to restore the stability of China. Soon rose once again and established a stable Kuomintang government in Nanjing, which lasted well after Sun's death. Within these few display cases on the opposite wall, you'll find badges and posters commemorating the successful uprising and the overthrow of the Qing dynasty. Common motifs among these objects would be the white sun in the blue sky, as well as Sun Yat-sen's face. Now, Sun Yat-sen's death marks the end of a chapter of Chinese history. This also marks the end of this segment of the tour. We have basically walked through 30 tumultuous years of China's history. The villa, aside from being a physical representation and a standing reminder of Sun Yat-sen's impact on Singapore during that period, also demonstrates an important historical link between China and the global Chinese population. This link was established through Dr. Sun Yat-sen's concerted efforts to spread the revolutionary message to the overseas Chinese population, such as those living in Southeast Asia. This villa was a base for Sun Yat-sen's revolutionary movement to overthrow the Qing government for the establishment of a modern republic, and hence it reflects the huge historical currents of early 1900s in China. The importance of the villa cannot be overlooked when examining the Chinese Revolution, and hence it is of utmost importance that such an important monument be conserved and protected. I hope you have enjoyed this tour of the Sun Yat-sen Villa. Uh, we've strolled through Chinese revolutionary history, explored this building's architectural features, and learned about the Singapore overseas Chinese communities 
of the 1900s. Now, in the following galleries, there will be a series of displays detailing the development of the Chinese community in Singapore. This begins in the next hall, where the educational efforts of the local Chinese are traced. The Chinese community in the early 1900s pulled together their resources and established many schools targeted at the children of the Chinese immigrants. They include schools like Taunan, Huachong, Aitong, which are all top schools currently. There will also be an interactive display where textbooks from that era are presented. Be sure to check that out and learn about the type of lessons these children were learning over a hundred years ago. The following hall also traces the business and economy of the Chinese community. Many Chinese over here uh, in the past were well-established businessmen and owned wealthy enterprises that propped up the economy of colonial Singapore. They owned plantations, banks, printing companies and just about every other business. The Chinese community prospered, but not for long. In the Black Alcove and Exhibition Hall 4, you will see the details of the Suk Ching operation that plagued the Chinese community. When the Japanese invaded Singapore, they saw the local Chinese as potential enemies and hence conducted the Suk Ching operation, which literally meant Operation Eliminate Chinese. This operation resulted in the disappearance and the death of hundreds of local Chinese. Well, after that, you'll see a giant wall-to-ceiling painting that depicts Sun Yat-sen's efforts in rallying the population of China. Stand in front of this oversized oil painting canvas and ponder about what we saw today. The Chinese community in Singapore used to be a highly distinct and exclusive community with acquaintances limited to people from the same hometown. However, as Singapore progressed and became our own nation, our society merged and a boundary between different races dissolved, creating a uniquely Singaporean social fabric. Once the Singapore Chinese saw China as their homeland, but now the Chinese in Singapore sees no other places other than Singapore as their hometown. After visiting the monument, you may want to hang out along Balestier Road uh, which is right outside and try out many of the amazing food stores. I hope you have enjoyed this tour. For show notes, a transcript of this tour or travel directions, visit iluntours.wordpress.com. Also, subscribe to this show on iTunes and leave a review while you are there. Help spread the word and tell your friends about it. Thanks. Una vez más, vamos la serena por un cambio de verdad, por nuestra ciudad, trabajando por ustedes. Con Son Hernández, con Seca, avancemos con confianza.